We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Is it possible to live wrong and die right? Is it possible to live wrong and die right? Absolutely no. We will die the way we lived. Death is in no way going to rescue us from our sin. We will be judged not on some radical change that is made in us at death. We won't be changed in the twinkling of an eye, as it says in Corinthians. That's referring to the physical body as we put on immortality. Death is not going to rescue any of us. When Jesus comes again, he is not coming to bear our sin. He did that at the cross. When Jesus comes, it's to redeem our bodies. It is to give to us the gift of immortality. It is to take us so that we can be with him. That was his desire all along, that we should be with him. Remember, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me. That's that's the heart of Jesus. So today we need to talk about what's your heart. What is your heart? You cannot live one way and expect to die another way. You will die the way you've lived. I remember an old man that I dearly loved. I won't tell you who he is, but he was an old man I dearly loved. He was pushing into his 85th year. And when his wife would go to Walmart, He always wanted to go along. Now, often he would not want to go somewhere. He would just stay at home. But when he was going to Walmart, he always wanted to go along. So I was visiting with them one day, and they said, why don't you come and go with us? I said, okay. So I sat with him in the car, and I said to him, tell me, what is it about Walmart that causes you to want to ride along to to Walmart, you just sit in the car. He said, oh, 
I get to see all the pretty girls. I thought, well, wait a minute. 85 years old, and he still likes to watch the pretty girls. Evidently, by growing older, we don't become righteous. He could not fulfill any of his desires. He was impotent. But his eyes still lusted after watching the pretty girls. There is a a truth here we need to recognize. We're going to die the way we live. This man died in his 85th year. He died the way he lived. As we look at our lives, it's very clear that the devil has established every every possible trap to prevent us from becoming aware of our condition before God. He's done everything in his power to prevent us from coming to terms with our sin. A young man said to me recently, as I was speaking with him about Jesus, he was saying, Pastor, I receive the penalty that Jesus paid on Calvary for my sin. But I somehow don't sense that Jesus is happy with me yet. If I've received the penalty that he paid, why shouldn't my heart be at peace now? I said, because it's not enough to receive the penalty that he paid on Calvary. Well, what do you mean? I said, before your heart will be at peace, you're going to have to deal to the very bottom with your sin. You're going to have to recognize what that sin is in your soul. You're going to have to look carefully at how you have sinned against God, against others, and even against yourself. You're going to have to look at that. You perhaps even need to get a paper and pencil and jot down every person you have not forgiven. Did you know that if there is someone in your life that you refuse to forgive, God will not forgive you? You can say, Lord, forgive me for my sins, and there's no forgiveness granted if I have refused to forgive those who have trespassed against me. Now, please understand, the word forgive is a technical term. It means that I add up everything that is owed to me, like a banker or a businessman. I add up the account that is owed to me. And after I've added up the account that is owed to me, I come to that figure, perhaps $65,000 is owed to me. I know I can never collect that $65,000 from that person who owes me. I mean, 
in very practical terms, quite a number of years ago, a church organization owed me $16,000, and this was when $16,000 was probably equivalent today to double that. And they said to me, we know we owe you this money, but the only way we'll pay you is if you take us to court and sue us. And I said, how can I sue brothers and sisters in Christ? I can't do that. And they said, well, then we won't pay you the $16,000. I was pretty angry about that. I needed that $16,000. That was more at that point than my annual salary. At that point, I was making about $10,000 a year as a pastor. I needed that $16,000 to bridge the gap and allow me to go back to school because I wanted to get further education. I was considering a doctorate. I needed that $16,000. I had to finally go in the prayer closet after much struggle and say, look, I am owed $16,000. I cannot sue them because they are Christians. They are brothers and sisters. Even though there's a disagreement between us, I cannot sue them. And so the Lord said to me, forgive them. Now, to forgive them meant literally to look at the $16,000 that was owed and say, they will not pay it. So what will I do? I can sue them, or I can write off the $16,000 and release all bitterness and all anger and pray for them as brothers and sisters who have sinned against me. And that's what the Lord told me to do. Forgive the $16,000. Walk away with no animosity, with no gossip, with no judgment. Just write off the entire amount that you know is owed to you, and let it go. Well, does that mean reconciliation? No. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. It doesn't mean you go back. And some years later, I I met with the ministerial secretary of that organization, and he offered me the pastorate of a very large congregation here in the Washington area. And I said, no, thank you. Why? I didn't trust them. I didn't believe that I could go into that organization and help build what I believe to be a corrupt organization. I had forgiven them, I hold no animosity to this day. I have utterly released them. But that doesn't mean reconciliation. Reconciliation is something that is separate, and it only comes as there is restitution. It only comes as there is repentance on the other side. As they say, we were wrong, and we owe you this, and we're going to pay this. 
So in personal relationships, if there is no restitution and there is no repentance, there is no reconciliation. But that is a totally separate topic from forgiveness. Forgiveness is simply meaning that I write off that debt. I let it go. And as I do that, and I hold no animosity in my heart, then I'm in a position where God can begin to forgive me. You see, I can't pay God back for what I've done against him and against his kingdom. I can never repay. I can never make up for the sin that I've committed against Almighty God. So what should I do? Well, certainly repent. And then certainly make restitution in every way possible. And then by faith receive the gift of eternal life. To be crucified. To plead before the throne of mercy until God hears my cry. Now some of you have been taught all you need to do is go and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin, and then claim I'm forgiven, and you're forgiven, and go on down the road. No, you're not. You haven't done the work of repentance. See, repentance means not only that I'm sorry for what I've done, not only that I'm going to make restitution in every way possible, if I've harmed another person, I'm going to do whatever I can to make that right. One dear brother, he came to Jesus. He repented of his sins. He was received. He saw the the crucified Lord. He was filled with the Spirit. And then he had to go back to a grocery store that he had stolen steaks from when he was homeless in his wicked years of drug abuse. He had to go back to that store, and he did so with fear and trembling because he didn't know if they would throw him in jail. He didn't know if they'd call the police. He went up to the counter, and of course, just as he comes to the counter, a crowd of people comes all around the counter. It always is going to work that way. And the manager's there, and and beside the manager are some additional staff. And so he says, a number of years ago, when I was homeless, I came into your grocery store, and I stole steaks. And it was wrong, and I'm sorry. And they're kind of rolling their eyes, like, hurry up and get out of here. We're embarrassed. He would, he would not leave until he said, and I've brought cash back. I need to pay you for those stakes. And it was more than payment for the stakes. He had $100 bills. And the manager said, no, no, just, just go. Just go. No, I won't receive your money. Go. He left the money on the counter and turned and said thank you and walked away. And he was free. 
He had made restitution. He had repented. He had turned from his wicked ways. And he'd made restitution. Now, sometimes restitution isn't money. Sometimes restitution is simply going to a person and admitting that you have said this or you have done this against them. And it's simply saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You see, repentance is not just between you and God. Repentance includes the people that you have harmed by your behavior. Some of you need to repent to your children. Some of you need to repent to your mom or dad, a brother or sister, a husband, wife, friends. You need to make things right. You need to honestly admit, this is what I've done, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Will you forgive me? You know, it's not easy to do these kinds of things, but This is what is required by the gospel to make things right, to pay back our debts, to receive the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, to repent. I'm reminded of a passage of Scripture that I'd like to share with you. And by the way, I'm Ray Greenleaf. I know you already know that, but let me tell you, for those of you who've just joined and you're saying, who is this guy? I'm, I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm glad you've joined me today. It's not an easy topic we're dealing with. How do we, how do we enter in to this place of redemption with Jesus Christ? How do we make it right? You're welcome to go to nationalprayerchapel.com. We're streaming live there, and you can see past videos. Yesterday's up, other videos through the week. There are also videos available on the Book of Romans. There are blogs available. Sermons are available. Podcasts are available. Many free resources. I invite you to go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll also find there directions to All Saints Anglican Church, where They've been so kind to open their facility to us. We meet there on Sunday afternoon at 12.30. And you're welcome to come. We would love to have you. If your heart is to be right with God, if your heart is to restore your relationship in your marriage, if your heart is to once more bring peace in your family with your children, and you want your children to understand who Jesus is, then I invite you to come and be a part of the National Prayer Chapel. We don't don't do the entertainment gig. Uh, We're only about Jesus. We're not about denominational stuff. We're non-denominational. We're simply Christians. We're followers of the way. We're followers of Jesus Christ. He is the desire of our soul. We want Jesus. And so I invite you to come this Sunday. We begin with prayer, public prayer at 12 to 12.30, and then at 12.30 we begin the praise and worship time. I invite you to come and and share with us. You can get the directions for the National Prayer Chapel by going to 
nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find directions uh, and a map that will help you. We're right off 95 in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's very easy to get to. We have people who are driving from Frederick, Maryland, from Prince William County, from Germantown, Maryland, uh, from south on 95, Dumfries, many different areas. People are driving from all over the city because they want a place where it's unvarnished biblical teaching about walking in righteousness with Jesus, being healed and made whole, being set free from sin, having victory in your life, not victory in finances. Well, that may come as a blessing of Jesus, but that's not where the focus is. We're not a prosperity church. We're a holiness church, but we're not legalistic. We're, we're an honest people searching after Jesus. We don't have a list of do's and don'ts. We say live by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, walk in holiness before God. That's the cry of our heart. We're, we're crying out to God for revival in Washington. We want to see a standard of righteousness. We want to see the cross lifted up in Washington, D.C. We want to see the name of Jesus lifted up in this city. So if that's your heart, I invite you to come and be a part with us at the National Prayer Chapel. Whatever price that costs you, come and and share with us. Be a part with us as we make this journey, even as uh, John Bunyan said, from this world to that which is to come. That's what we're about. We're the journey people. We're the we're the people of the way. Some people have said, National Prayer Chapel, are you a church? Yes, we're the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. Well, then what does chapel mean? Well, let me give you the old definition of the word chapel. In the old English mansions, the these huge places where the wealthy lived in their castles. They would have one small room that was the coat room, and that used to be called the chapel. Now, as time passed, the chapel transitioned and became a place of worship. We like the old definition because the old definition means that those who are part of the National Prayer Chapel have identified themselves as servants and not as consumers. Most people who go to church are simply there to consume. They're there for the show. They're there for the Broadway production. They're there for the music. They're there for the wonderful kids program. They're there. I mean, don't come to the National Prayer Chapel if you're about being a consumer. We're about being producers. We want to produce something in our own lives by the power of the blood of Jesus, and then we want to help other people produce righteousness in their lives by the same power of Jesus. We're there to reach out and bring as many people to heaven with us as we can. So this isn't advertising. This is just a straight-up honest evaluation If you come to the National Prayer Chapel, you'll need to put your seatbelt on and you'll need to put your crash helmet on because you're going to be in for a ride. Most can't take the ride. 
when they begin to identify what it means to go to the cross and die and give their lives to Jesus Christ and give up their ambitions and give up their visions of grandeur simply to humbly come before Jesus and say, Jesus, use me however you want to use me. That's what I want from you. I want you to use me for your kingdom in whatever manner you want to use me. Or leave me on the shelf and deal with my heart until I'm clean before you. So, again, I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. We meet at All Saints Anglican Church. The service is at 12.30 p.m. every Sunday. We also meet there on Tuesday evenings for a midweek service that is more of a classic John Wesley class meeting. And that meeting begins with prayer at 6.30, and praise and worship begins at 7.30. So come either on a Tuesday evening and join together with us, or come on a Sunday afternoon and visit. All I can tell you is, come as the Holy Spirit calls you and moves in your heart. Now let's come back to this issue of, of repentance. In the book of Luke, Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, he's speaking this to Jewish people who are godly. And he's saying to them, you need to repent. We really need to come to terms with the sin in our heart. The sins we hold on to. For some, it's character issues. It's an inclination toward bitterness or an inclination toward anger. When the kids do something wrong and you start to scream at them, you've got a problem. You've got a sin problem. When something happens and your wife doesn't please you and you become bitter and angry with her, you've got a sin problem. Those are character issues that have to be dealt with. Some of you men who are listening to this broadcast, you're angry men. You have a root of anger in your spirit. That's a character issue that has to be dealt with. Yes, there are the more gross sins of fornication, adultery. We all agree those are wrong. Homosexuality, stealing, lying, cheating, those are all the grosser sins. But for some of you, you've dealt with those sins. Some of you have dealt with those sins, frankly, in the flesh. You've said, if I want to belong to this social organization, I need to stop my alcohol abuse. I need to quit smoking cigarettes because the pastor doesn't approve. I need to clean up my act with 
any adultery, and you've been able to white-knuckle dealing with the basic gross sins of your life, the drug abuse, you went to a self-help process, or alcohol, you went to a a step process, and, and now you're dry, and you've been clean for a year or so. But you still call yourself an alcoholic because you know in your heart you still are an alcoholic. And you say to yourself, I'll always be an alcoholic. Well, all of this cleaning up of the gross sins can be done in human effort, by human discipline. Remember the story of President Dwight Eisenhower when when he went to a physical, the Surgeon General said to him, you must stop smoking or you may have a physical problem. And he said, okay, doctor. And he went back to the White House and he never smoked again. He just, that's it. He was a man of iron, discipline, and by his flesh and in his self-will, he was able to simply cut off all of that smoking. Well, this young man I referred to earlier said to me, but I'm not, I'm not running with the women anymore. I'm not going to the massage parlors anymore. I'm, I'm living a good life. Is God still angry with me? I said, yes, he is. The wrath of God is still on you because you have overcome these grosser sins by your self-will. But you still have not given your life over to Jesus Christ. You still are in charge of your life. You may have Jesus now as your co-pilot. He's not interested in being your co-pilot. He wants to be the pilot. And I tell you, those those inner deep character sins cannot be removed with self-help. There are some things that can only be removed by the blood of Jesus Christ from your life. So some of you call yourselves Christians because you've been able to clean up your life. That was true of these Jewish people, and Jesus said to them, unless you repent, you too will perish. Or the 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree, and he planted it in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it later, but he did not find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So this fig tree had all of the foliage of a beautiful fig tree. The problem was it was not bearing the the fruit that was desired by the owner. And the fruit that is desired by the owner 
of our lives is found in the book of Galatians. Let me read it for you. These are referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, that's agape love, that's self-sacrificing love, that's not phileo, brotherly love, and it's not eros, sexual love, it's, it's agape love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things as these there's no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if you'll look at these that are called fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, these are all byproducts. The fruit of a of a fig tree is a byproduct of the fig tree. These byproducts come out of a complete crucifixion of the natural man and a complete giving over of my heart and my life, my money, my time, my ambition. It is giving over everything into the hand of God and recognizing that he controls all things, that nothing in this world can go against the word of God. Satan has no power to block the word of God. The word of God is mighty. It is a two-edged sword. In my life, I could go through training courses, and I've gone through many. I've gone through conflict resolution training. I've become a trainer of conflict resolution. I've gone through training in planning and productivity. I've done corporate seminars and workshops in in these areas. Stress management. Personality profiles. I can tell you, as one who has walked through the, the training programs and, and as one who has walked through the psychotherapeutic models of the modern age, these things are powerless to produce real righteousness in the life of a man or a woman. That's why the Lord is saying, you must repent. You must repent. Some of you have no sense of a need to repent. And so the place to begin praying is, Lord, show me my need to repent. I don't see anything I should repent of, Lord. Would you take the blinders from my eyes? Would you remove the veil from my face that I might see my true condition before you? A very popular television pastor was extremely arrogant He's passed now. He's not here. But I would watch him on television, and he was extremely arrogant. He was very polished and perfect. And he came to speak at a chapel in college. I didn't want to hear him. I almost skipped chapel, but they kept record. 
It was a Christian college, so I had to go to chapel. So I went in, and I frankly tell you I had an attitude. I did not want to listen to this man's braggadocious proclamation of his greatness one more time, telling about the wonderful advantages he was gaining by being a national television pastor on television. Never forget, he stood in front of the congregation, a couple thousand people, and he just stood there, and he stood there, and tears began to course down his face. And he opened his mouth with that golden voice. And he said, please forgive me. I've been arrogant. I've been proud. Let me tell you what happened. I got on my face. And I asked God to show me how he sees me. And I haven't preached for six months. I was so broken by the ugliness I saw in my life. I couldn't preach anymore. I sat there and wept with him because my pride was revealed by his pride. And I said, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I too have been proud. I too have been arrogant. I too have been judgmental. Oh God, I repent. Forgive me. I've asked our producer, Eric, if he would play again for us this song, I Repent, by Hugh Preedy, this wonderful Welsh revival song. Our phone number is 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call while you listen to this song, 877-534-0780. It's time to repent. It's time to get right with Jesus. And I 
accepted the commandments I've rejected to pursue my selfish end. And I confess I need you to revive me, put selfishness behind me, and take up my cross again. And I repent, making no excuses. I repent, no one else to blame. And I return to fall in love with Jesus. I bow down on my knees and I return to fall in love with Jesus. I bow listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to go now directly to Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick, Crossway Publishers. This book has been in continuous publication since 1678. Let me read for you what John Bunyan writes in this allegory. Then I ask him, What must I do when I come to Jesus? He answered, I must plead upon my knees with all my heart and soul that the Father will reveal him to me. Then I asked him further how I must make my supplication to him, and he said that if I go to him, I would find him upon a mercy seat where he sits all the year long to give pardon and forgiveness to all those who come. I told him that I didn't know what to say when I came, and Faithful told me to say words to this effect, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and make me to know and believe in Jesus Christ. For I see that if his righteousness had not been offered, or if I have no faith in that righteousness, I am utterly cast away. Lord, I've I've heard that you're a merciful God and have ordained that your Son, Jesus Christ, should be the Savior of the world. Moreover, you are willing to give him for a poor sinner like me, and I am indeed a sinner. Lord, 
Take, therefore, this opportunity and magnify your grace in the salvation of my soul through your Son, Jesus Christ. Did you do as as you were told? Yes, Hopeful replied, right then and, and many times over. And did the Father reveal his Son to you? Christian inquired further. Neither at the first, nor the second, nor the third, nor the fourth, nor the fifth. No, not not until the sixth time, Hopeful answered. What did you do then? Well, I didn't know what to do. Did you think you might stop praying, Christian asked? Yes, a hundred times. And what was the reason you did not? I believe that what Faithful told me was true, and that without the righteousness of this Christ, this Messiah, all the world could not save me. Therefore, I thought to myself, if I stop praying, I will die, and I only wish to die at the throne of grace. But with these words that came into my mind, Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So I continued praying until the Father showed me his Son. You see, until you see the crucified Lord for yourself, you cannot fully repent. Because you won't fully see your sin until you see yourself in comparison to this lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We believe in one God, one God who expresses himself in three wonderful personages. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And this person of God came and dwelt among us as a man, fully God and fully man. And when he was nailed to the cross, He was nailed there for my sin and for yours. Until you see him there and know that it was for your sin, you'll never understand the depth of your sin. He continues, I did not see him with my bodily eyes, but with the eyes of my understanding. And it happened like this. One day I was very sad, probably sadder than ever before, and this sadness resulted from a fresh glimpse of the great depths and vileness of my sins. I was expecting nothing but hell and the everlasting damnation of my soul. Suddenly I saw the Lord Jesus look down from heaven upon me and say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But I replied, Lord, I am a great, a very great sinner. He answered, My grace is sufficient for you. Then I said, But Lord, what is believing? Then I understood from Scripture that believing and coming were the same thing. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Thus, those who have come to Jesus, who have run wholeheartedly to Christ, for salvation, have indeed believed in Christ. And then I wept, and I ask again, but Lord, will you indeed accept and save even such a great sinner as I? And I heard him say, He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And then I ask, 
but how can I know that my faith is truly placed upon you? And he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He died for our sins and rose again for our justification. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is a mediator between God and man. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Hi, Michelle. What would you like to share? Hi, Pastor Ray. Um, I wanted to share that as a Christian, I've walked the way that Jesus has called me. And just recently, he uncovered an area of my heart in dealing with my personality, these cards, the issues that you're talking about. And someone who has really hurt me, um, I had forgiven them. And so I reached out and I said, well, happy birthday to you. And then they responded by asking me, well, are you going to buy me a gift? And immediately my thought was, really? Are you kidding me? After what you've put me through? And as I was about to say no, I heard Jesus say, oh, Michelle, not so. It pierced my heart. Yes. I said, Lord, forgive me. I repent. And so I humbled my heart. And I proceeded to ask the person, I said, what do you want? And they told me. And I said, okay, I'll get you that gift. And in a moment's time, Jesus showed me all the love that he had poured out for me. And he said, you thought that this person was so undeserving. But in my eyes, they are deserving. And I'm calling you to walk this way of love, to even love those who've hurt you. Yes. And he showed me that it wasn't about the way I felt, what others had done to me. But he was calling me to walk in the love that he had so commanded me to walk in. And I knew that had I not done this, how could that person see a total change in my heart? How, they, how can they see the love of Jesus? How can they see righteousness growing up in my heart? And I said, okay. And immediately they were so surprised. They were so surprised. Well, I heard the voice of Jesus, even though it was so soft. I heard the grace of Jesus. That's what caused me to change my path and say, Lord, change me. Yes. Change me. Yes. That's my testimony. Michelle, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Lord, I thank you for this testimony. What grace, what mercy. What you have done for Michelle in breaking even this small part of her heart. Lord, I thank you. Let your grace be upon her. Let your spirit rest upon her. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle.
Our phone number is 877-534-0780. If you'd like to join, if you'd like to call, we have just a couple minutes left on this broadcast. Oh, I'm getting the signal. It's only two minutes. All right. I want to pray for you. Lord, I know that there are others who are listening to this broadcast today, and you're calling them to repent. I pray that Michelle's testimony will inspire them. I pray the word spoken today will deal with their heart. Lord, would you move with great conviction, for that is the sign of the Holy Spirit coming when conviction begins to break out in our hearts. Lord, deal with any pride, any arrogance, any hardness of heart, any selfishness. Lord, deal with our hearts today. I thank you for this time we've been able to share together. I ask, Lord, now that you would encourage my brother and sister as they enter into this work of repentance, as they follow on this narrow path. Thank you, Jesus, I pray in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk with you tomorrow. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with